It's awesome stuff what God is doing with this church. Uh, my name is Luke. I am a member here. I also serve on the leadership team at Renewal Church of Chicago. And as uh, Pastor Derek said in the video, as you heard from Tony, we are a church that exists with three actions, renew, rebuild, release. We want to renew, rebuild, and release people through the power of the work of Jesus Christ. And that's why we exist. That's why we're here. That's what we're doing. That's what we're about. And right now we're in a series that, that we're talking about each of those core actions and how these are patterned. This is, this is not just something that we made up. It's a pattern that we see repeated in the Bible over and over again. And as we go through that, a couple weeks ago, Pastor D shared with us um, a state of the church. He just gave us kind of where we've been over the last year, where we're going over the next year. And last week, he shared with us that first action, renew. And, and he talked about that word gospel, the good news about what Jesus has done for us. And he gave us a great summary of John 3.16, that famous verse. He said, God, gave, God loved, God gave uh, we believe, and we live forever. And when we, when we look at all of that, our next step is what? Our next step is rebuild. We're going to look at that today. We're going to look at this action of rebuilding. We're going to look at what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And this is a good question to ask. We have to ask, what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? This, the word disciple, it's not a word that we use a lot anymore. It just means follower. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? And it's a worthwhile question to ask, and here's why. Because many people, perhaps you're one of them, many people approach Christianity with a bit of skepticism or a bit of uncertainty or perhaps with woundedness in their background from a Christian person or a Christian institution. Many people, perhaps you're one of them, um, uh, might have identified as a Christian for a long, long time, but secretly, maybe deep down, there's like some questions or some doubts and you're sort of afraid if, afraid if you pull on that thread, the whole thing will unravel right? It's a worthwhile question to ask, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Because there are people here right now who, who, who have noted, n not just now, but, but in history, in, in recent years, how there are, there's a so-called Christian voting block that wags its finger at the immorality of one group and dismisses the immorality of another group. Perhaps you've noticed in your own heart and in your own mind and in others hypocrisy, and perhaps you're fed up with it, right? All of these things be it uncertainty, dubiousness, weariness with hypocrisy, whatever it is, they're all things that can keep us from Christianity, from, their core, from the core tenets, from the core doctrines of Christianity. All of these things, all of these things are reasons that somebody might avoid, abandon, or reject Christianity. But here's the point. Before any of us <laughs> avoid, abandon, or reject Christianity based on the faults of the hypocrite, let us first consider Christianity based on the character of the true disciple. Yeah. Do you see what I mean? Jesus, he says the stakes are too high. If, if what Jesus says is true, if he is actually God, if his word to us is actually God's word, the stakes are too high to base our decision about Christianity based entirely on the faults of the hypocrite. We must instead ask, what is the true disciple? We, we must know what does it mean simply to follow Jesus. Jesus knew this. He, he talked about this all the time, over and over and over again. And, and over and over and over again, when he talked about what it meant to follow him, he also talked what, about what it meant to not follow him. He, he held these things in contrast constantly in his teaching. And today, we're going to look at that. We're going to look at some of his teachings from the most famous 
teaching, um, not just from Jesus, but in all of the world. Uh, um, one of the most, the most famous teaching on record from Jesus is called the Sermon on the Mount. It's found in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. We're going to read the conclusion to the most famous teaching of Jesus. And if you know anything about oratory or speeches, what is the, what is the most important part of a great speech? The conclusion. So today, we are looking at the most important part of the most important speech ever. How's that sound? Are you in? We're Matthew 7. <laughs> he, Pastor D's in. Matthew 7, uh, verses 13 through 27. Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 through 27. You can turn there in your Bibles. You can scroll there in your Bible apps. You can look up on the screen. Uh, I think we'll throw it up there too. Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 through 27. Let's, if you're able, let's stand and read that together. Or, or I'll read it. Listen, as I read, uh, you have some homework here. As I read, note the groups of pairs. We're going to read four teachings from Jesus, and, and in each of these teachings there is a pair of things, okay? Verse 13, Jesus said, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets, who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. This is the word of the Lord. You guys may be seated. The, the passage itself, the teaching from Jesus itself, gives us our structure for today. There are four teachings here. There are four pairs, right? We've got the two paths, the two trees, the two disciples, and the two builders. The two paths, the two trees, the two disciples, and the two builders. And in each of these, really, the, the fundamental point is just the same. The, the crucial point that Jesus is making, his core message, is this, that there are two ways to live and only two ways to live. And, and then with each of these illustrations, he, he draws that out and he gives us another characteristic or another thing that's important to know as we approach these two ways to live. And so we're just going to walk through these together. There are two ways to live. One is counterfeit and one is authentic. First, Jesus begins uh, this part of the Sermon on the Mount with the two gates and the two paths. And man, we just got to say right off the bat, I think, um, what Jesus is saying here is so countercultural. Isn't it? Think about it for a minute. I mean, if you've been in church for a while, if you've read the, the parable of the two paths and the two gates, 
do me a favor and like take off your Bible, yeah, yeah, yeah filter and think of it again, right? Think of it again how, how Jesus is saying he's claiming something that is very counterintuitive to present day culture. He is, he is saying there are not many paths to one destination. He is saying there are two paths to two destinations. This is so different so different than, what, than what, we, that we, what we eat and breathe and live every single day. It is so counterintuitive that, that, to, to what is part of our collective subconscious that we don't even think about the reality that really we're operating day to day on this idea of many paths, infinite number of paths. Somebody can choose what they want in their own way, what suits them, their style, you be you, all of those things. And it all, if you, if you do your best, if you try your hardest, it all goes to the same place. And Jesus steps in and he disrupts this whole line of thinking. He he lays it bare. He strips it bare and says, look at what you believe. Let me tell you about a different way. No, no, no. There are two paths. And when we hear somebody like Jesus, or anyone else for that matter, come along and say something like this. Perhaps, I think commonly, we think, who is Jesus? or anyone else for that matter, to judge so absolutely everyone's path. How can that be? And we betray our cultural default. Now listen, if that's you, and it's been me, if that's you today that just, that feels, uh, that it is abrasive, what Jesus is saying here, I would say this. We cannot, it is insufficient reason to reject Jesus' teaching just because it is different from your cultural default. That's not enough. It's maybe a reason to consider, but it is not enough to reject it outright. We must instead recognize that Jesus' claim and our culture's claim, neither one of them can be consolidated into a test tube and put in a laboratory where we can just find out the answer. No, no, no. We must do something else. We must examine these, these, these presuppositions. And we must weigh them against our actual experiences in the world, right? We must look at human history and at current events in our own lives. And we must say, is what Jesus is saying here, does it ring true? And I, when I look at me, when I look at other people, I say, when I read the newspaper, this rings true. Isn't it true? Isn't it readily observable that most people just seem to be on cruise control? On a, on just stumbling through, through life, going from one new thing to the next, a new person, a new gadget, a new relationship, a new job, a new career, a new whatever, trying to, trying to find something. And, and, and once they get there, even if they achieve it, they find it so fleetingly satisfying that it's moments before they're on to the next thing. Listen, the way is wide. That's what Jesus is saying. Everybody, almost everybody's on this path. They're just stumbling and tumbling through this thing. When we weigh Jesus' words against what we see in the real world, they're plausible. They ring true. Listen, even our, even our modern vernacular betrays this sometimes. If you read comments online, and you shouldn't, but if you do, you undoubtedly have heard or read the word sheeple. Jesus, in his culture, in first century, he's talking about sheeple. The wide path, the way is easy. It's, most people go down it. They're, they're unthinking. In, in so much of this, uh, this little parable, we can draw out really obvious distinctions, right, between the two paths, wide, narrow, easy, hard, crowded, sparsely populated. 
But then there's one thing that I think really sums up more than anything else what Jesus is getting at here, and it's a little bit more hidden. Look at the end of verse 13. End of verse 13, those who enter by it, and then compare to the end of verse 14, those who find it. Enter and find. One is an action that is more passive. One is an action that is more active. You don't find something if you haven't been searching for something. Jesus is getting to the core, uh, the, 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 the fundamental piece of this teaching here, and it's this. The core contrast is default versus intentional. Default versus intentional. The person who is the disciple of Jesus lives intentionally. Why? The way is narrow. It's constraining. You don't do something constraining by accident. Jesus is just telling us like it is. The way is narrow. Default versus intentional. Jesus says the good life, the destination that everyone is after, is found only by the intentional path. The other one promises the good life, but only delivers what? What does Jesus say? The wide path leads to destruction. Jesus moves on from the two paths to the two trees. He uses the two trees to describe two kinds of teachers or prophets. There are teachers who their teaching is uh, false. There are teachers whose teaching is true. And it's interesting, Jesus a lot of times, often in the New Testament, if you've read it, he has really strong language against false teachers, like directed at them. This is something a little bit different. His, his, it, what he's saying here is not directed at the false teacher, it's directed at us, at the listener. And he offers, how do you discern what is true and what is false in this, in, this, in this world, in this sea of information? What should we do? How do we discern? And he does something so wise here and so actually something that we see in the Bible over and over and over again. This idea that you tell who somebody really is by their most personal and intimate relationships. You tell who somebody really is by what their most, the, the most personal aspect of their life, what kind of fruit does it produce? Now listen, the first, the paths were so countercultural, so is this. So is this. How many times has a leader, political or business or otherwise, been, been embroiled in scandal and somebody is, is around them and they, and they say something like, well, you know, that's his personal life, that's her personal life, they're still getting the job done, they're great leaders, they're great prof professionals, right? Do you know what I'm talking about? How many times has that happened? And Jesus comes along, the Bible comes along and says, no, you know who the person is by their personal life. You're looking at the wrong thing. You know who they really are. You know what is the fruit that their life produces. Who are the people who are closest to them? Are, do they flourish? Do they, does this teacher, does he actually live by the words that he speaks? This is what Jesus is getting at. There are true teachers and there are false teachers and he offers generously a way to discern from them and he does this by the, the analogy of the tree. There's a, my family in the warmer months, we walk often from our apartment to a playground that's nearby and we go down the sidewalk almost every time. And on the sidewalk, underneath somebody's fence, there's kind of like this ratty, weed, giant, 
thorn bush thing that's sprawled out across the sidewalk, right? And inevitably, every single time we pass it, it scratches a kid's leg or it snares a pant leg or it catches the dog's leash or something. And I'm like, I always think, I am going to come out here with some pruners sometime and cut that thing down to its roots and throw it in the dumpster. Why? Because it's useless. That's what Jesus says. That's what he says here. False teaching is useless. It is good for nothing but kindling for a fire to be thrown away. But good teaching is nourishing. And here we have the chief contrast in his second parable between the disciples. The true disciple, the true teacher, gives nourishing information, nourishing to body and spirit. The false teacher, the false teaching is useless. It's good for nothing. It's made to be thrown away. Do you see? Nourishing teaching, giving life to body and spirit. Nourishing teaching, the fruit that's sometimes sweet and sometimes bitter, but always good. Jesus moves on. We've the two paths, default versus intentional, two trees, useless versus nourishing, and then two disciples. Two disciples. Uh, we got verse 21. This is interesting. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. There are two disciples presented here. Now, wait. You might say, I thought discipleship was the Christian thing. Jesus is doing something for us here that is so valuable. He says, no, no. Everyone is a disciple. No one escapes discipleship. Now, what do I mean by that? Um, Everyone follows something. All people are seeking something. Or to borrow Jesus' first simile from the first (laughs) parable, everyone is on some path. There's not a pathless person. There's not a, 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 somebody who's following nothing. Nobody can, can actually stand intellectually, honestly, and say, well, you believe and I'll not believe. Or, or you follow Jesus or Buddha or Muhammad or something, and I'll just not follow anything. That, that's, that's dishonest because even in so saying, you're betraying what you're following, yourself, the popular culture, your career, a relationship, romance, something, some combination of those things or a thousand other things. You are a disciple. That's what Jesus says. Jesus, in effect, is getting at, he's speaking in the Sermon on the Mount and he's broadcasting out to thousands of people, listen, the question is not whether or not you are a disciple. The question is whether or not you are my disciple. And it's a good question. Because it, is, it makes all of the difference. You know, we have the paths that lead to destruction. We have, we have the false teaching that is useless and to be thrown out. And here we have the, 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 the pretend disciple and the real disciple. And the chief contrast here is what? It's phony versus genuine. I, I mean, I'll confess to you, I went, I went back and forth a little bit about, about this section of the message today because it just it feels so strong like how do I soften this a bit that was my process how do I make this softer and I just landed on Jesus said it so I'm just going to say it listen if you are in if you have been in and around churches for a long long time part of the, so much of this message is for you here is the, 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 the incredible danger that is here the, the poser the phony comes to Jesus and he is self-deceived 
On the last day, the last day when Jesus uses that language, he's talking about the day of judgment. On the last day, this guy is confused. He says, Jesus, did you see all of the churchy things that I did? And And what did Jesus say? He says, I don't know who you are. You've never known who I am. Why? Because we don't come to Jesus pointing at our moral records. That's not Christianity. That's not the gospel that we learned about last week. No, 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 no. Jesus came to us with his moral record. It's it's the other way around. This This is so radical and wonderful and beautiful and there's no other philosophy like it no other teacher like jesus and he comes to us and he says no you don't come to me and 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 point at something that you've done and say look at how i've put you in my debt god i deserve to get in it's so much better than that how how limited is a view that only good people go to heaven Jesus' view is so much more radical and radiant. Bad people go to heaven. Because Jesus did everything that we couldn't do. It's magnificent. Default, two paths, default versus intentional. Two trees, useless versus nourishing. And here, two disciples, phony versus genuine. You know, Carl Ellis uh, Jr. is a Bible scholar. I've learned a lot from him the last couple of years just reading books. Um, he, has, he has a great way of summing up what Jesus is getting at here about these two disciples, the phony and the genuine. He says, basically, there are Christians and there are Christians, in quotation mark. And this is what he's talking about. There are people who actually have... There are people who point to their moral records and there are people who actually stand back wonderstruck at the almighty God who has done everything for them and they cannot believe or do anything else but worship his surpassing greatness. There are Christians and there are Christians. That's what Jesus is talking about here. These people are duplicitous. The phony is duplicitous. He betrays... He betrays his true heart's love when he points at his moral record and says God deserves, he deserves something from God. He, he, he betrays it because he's, he's betraying that he has not done what is good for Jesus' sake. He has not done what is good for his neighbor's sake. He has not done what is good even for goodness' sake. He has done what is good for his own sake. Do you see? Christianity is so much more marvelous than that. Jesus moves on the great um, conclusion. He says in verse 24, everyone then, I like that word then, it's the conclusion of the conclusion. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Uh, Pastor Tony Evans, a guy that, an incredible preacher, I got to sit under his preaching a little bit in college, and uh, he, he looks at this story, he makes a great observation. He says, isn't it interesting how similar these two builders are? How similar they are, right? Tony Evans would say, they both went to the same seminary, they both went to the same Bible school, right? They both heard Jesus' words, they're both hearers. 
They're both going about their life. They both seem to be upwardly mobile. They're both moving on up. They're both building their houses. They're both making their families. They both have found the right zip code. That's, that's where they purchased their land, where they're going to build their place. And yet, the outcomes are radically different. Tragedy strikes. The, the foolish builder looks so much like the wise builder, but when tragedy strikes, his life's foundation is exposed for what it really is. Shifting, shaky, loose, contradictory. And when tragedy strikes, the wise builder, his foundation is revealed for what it truly is, firm. And here we have the chief contrast of this parable, fragile versus immovable. Now listen, not strong, not robust, not resilient, not tough, not pretty darn good, immovable. No, did you see that, that the disciple of Jesus, the true follower of Jesus, the one who hears and does his words is like somebody who constructs his life on the rock. He cannot be shaken. He is immovable. And we know this. We, we know so much from this parable, not just who he is and how he constructs his life, but we also learn something that's hard for us. We learn that, that storm the storm comes to the foolish builder and the storm comes to the wise builder. There, there's something somehow that's gotten into our psychology where we think, well, if I follow Jesus, then everything is great and, and I'll avoid the storm. No, no, the storm's there. The storm's there. It's, it's not even like a diminished storm or a weakened storm. These are both Cat 5 hurricanes, right? Every single phrase describing the, th- the storm for both people is exactly the same. It's sufficient to knock someone's house down, to destroy a life, and yet, and yet, and yet, the disciple of Jesus' life stands strong. We learn something here is so wonderful. Being Jesus' disciple, constructing your life on the rock means that there is no suffering No suffering, no amount of suffering that can take what is most important from us. There's no amount of suffering that we could confront that can destroy us. It doesn't mean there is no suffering. It does mean no amount of suffering can destroy us. Two paths, default versus intentional. Two trees, useless versus nourishing. Two disciples, phony versus genuine. Two builders, fragile versus immovable. Uh, over the centuries, lots of people have, uh, d- disciples, true disciples of Jesus, have looked at Jesus' teaching and they've tried to put it into practice and they've all made, often made, a similar observation. There is a cost to discipleship. There is a cost to discipleship. And yet, and yet, it's free. Jesus actually embraces this paradox fully. He says uh, in other parables, it's like going to a field and you discover treasure in the field and you go and sell everything that you have so that you can buy that field and get the treasure. Why? It costs everything, yet in comparison to the riches gained, it costs nothing. So when we talk about the cost of discipleship and it's real, (laughs) the the way is narrow, the gate is constraining, but, but... when we talk about the cost of following Jesus, we must remember that it pales in comparison to the cost of not following Jesus. 
Jesus is honest on both sides. Don't you feel like so many, this whole world is trying to sell you something? I love how Jesus just pulls no punches. He tells us exactly that there is cost to following him. And he tells us exactly that there's infinitely greater cost to not following him. He just says it the way it is. It's so liberating. If we are going to talk about the cost, we have to talk about cost on both sides. If you're someone that wants cost-benefit ratio, then you've got to consider both sides. And let's be honest, there are certain benefits. There are certain benefits to not following Jesus. Just doing what you want, when you want it, how you want it, at least for a while. There are. Can we just say that? But if we're going to say that, then we must say that the benefits of not following Jesus pale in comparison to the infinite riches of following him. Amen. It's just true. On the surface, Jesus' words appear harsh. But look again. Would you rather be one of the aimless millions coasting along by default or one of the few living on purpose with intentionality? They appear harsh, but look again. Would you rather consume empty calorie, useless teaching or feast on the word of God that is infinitely nourishing? Look again, would you rather be a person who is phony or who is genuine? Look again, would you rather your life be fragile or would you rather your resolve be immovable? Do you see, Jesus' goal is not harshness here. He's God. If his goal was harshness, he would withhold these things from us. But no, he does the opposite. Do you see, Jesus is extending to you exactly what you're after. Authenticity, immovability, genuineness. He wants you to have these things. He wants you to live with intentionality. He wants to give you life's purpose and hope and flourishing. This is what he is saying. Jesus unmasks the counterfeit and he supplies the authentic. Uh, David Foster Wallace uh, was a novelist. Um, the, the Guardian newspaper actually said he was the greatest writer of his generation. Um, he said this, actually, I'm going to read a quote from him that he delivered as a graduation address, a commencement address. And he said, there is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. An outstanding reason for choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally plant you. Worship power, and you will feel weak and afraid. And you will need oh, ever, ever, ever more power over others to keep the fear at bay. Worship your intellect being seen as smart, and you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. He goes on. Here's what's fascinating. David Foster Wallace was not a Christian. He just looked out at the world and made an observation. And his observation is strikingly similar to Jesus' observation of how the world works. The difference is that Jesus steps in to this gap. This is a cruel reality that Wallace has outlined. It would be 
we wouldn't be able to sustain thinking about this, but that Jesus steps in and says, how about me? How about me instead of money, instead of power, instead of intellect, instead of sex? How about me? How about something that won't chew you up and spit you out? How about me? How about something that's, that's firm and that's, that's immovable? How about something that's genuine? How about something that will give you everything that you've always wanted? How about me? How about Jesus himself? Jesus can say this. He can say that discipleship to him will sustain you, will sustain you through any amount of suffering. He can say that. Why? Because he sustained an infinite amount of suffering on your behalf. He can say, uh, with me, you can sustain any trials because I was put on trial, falsely accused for you. It is magnificent. Jesus says, in effect, would you rather have the counterfeit or the real thing? Let me pray for you.